Our scripture this morning is found in Hosea. And we're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Delight is a word we don't use very much anymore. Last Sunday night, we do this on Sunday night too, by the way. Last Sunday night, we preached on zeal for the word of the Lord, and we said that's a word we don't use very much anymore. We're going to talk about zeal. We don't really use the word delight. I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody say, oh, that's just so delightful? We don't really use that word anymore. It's kind of fallen out of favor. But I want you to understand that God delights in our love for Him. All right? God is love, John will tell us. God is love. And we know this love because He first loved us. And so, what God, listen, what God has been about all along is for us to return to Him the love that He invests in our lives. That's why it's called a covenant. And we're going to see a word that you all know, if you've listened to to me preach for any amount of time at all, we're going to see a word uh, today uh, in our text that's really important in understanding the Old Testament. So Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud. And like the dew which goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in, the New American Standard translates this as loyalty. The the, the word that, I, I love the way the King James translates this, it's loving kindness. We're going to return to that in in a little bit. For I delight in loving kindness rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dwelt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of wrongdoers, tracked with bloody footprints. And as raiders wait for a man, so a band of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they have committed crime. In the house of Israel I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's harlotry is there. Israel has defiled itself. Also, O Judah, 
There is a harvest appointed to you when I restore the fortunes of my people. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst. And Lord, as you illumine the heart and mind of Hosea when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, we ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well. And God, we just pray that you would speak to us out of your word this morning as we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know, here's the thing that, that we say. We've got orthodoxy when we say this. It's the orthopraxy where we run into difficult difficulty. God loves the world and everyone in it. Okay? God loves the world and everyone in it. Now, I am on firm theological uh, standing when I say that. I mean, the one verse that almost everybody, whether they've ever been inside a church or not, can quote is John 3.16. For God so loved the United States of America. For God so loved Southern Baptist and them only. No. For God so loved the world. Peter will later tell us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that should that all should come to repentance through faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, beloved, God from the outset. Why did God create humanity? Why did God create Adam and Eve? Kind of having a rough eon, and he, you know, just decided. Seem like the thing to do? How many of y'all have ever started a project with, seem like the thing to do, you know? No. We understand that God created Adam and Eve for fellowship with one another and for fellowship with Him because He used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day and fellowship with them. In chapter 6 and 7, God is reaching out to the Israelites. And, and listen, He knows some things they don't know. I mean, we, we saw that in Amos, in our kind of million-foot overview of, of, of Amos in our Sunday school quarterly this quarter. That God, I mean, we saw Amos conclude his prophecy by saying, there's going to be an earthquake. Okay? Well, guess what? There was an earthquake two years later. All right? And all of the things that Amos said was going to happen, happened. God knows what's going to happen. God knows that the Assyrians are sitting in their barracks, sharpening up their swords and their spears and their arrows and making sure that their horses get an extra helping of oats for the, the war that they're about to unleash. It's coming. It's coming. And, and we've seen as we study through Hosea, number one, 
that God was justified, but number two, this whole thing could have been avoided. The whole thing could have been avoided. There were multiple places, multiple places where Israel could have repented of their sin and come back to God and acknowledge who He was in their lives, obeyed His commandments, and placed their lives in His hands. What we're seeing in in chapter 6 is God's plea for repentance on the part of the people and their subsequent rejection. Their subsequent rejection of God asking them to get their heart right with Him. You know, we highlighted... A few moments ago when we we sang that great hymn, that sometimes, sometimes the best blessings of our life, and we just sang, right? We look back on our sin and we see grace. We look back on all of the mistakes that we made. We look back on, on everything that's gone on in our lives and all of the hurts, all of the pain all of the times that we've drifted away from God and we see grace or see grace because sometimes beloved the blessings of God come through God's disciplinary judgments God has to put a stop to our rebellion against him Here's the problem. <laughs> Sometimes when we're in the heat of the battle, when we're in, down in the trenches, when we're really struggling <coughs> with God's divine judgment against us, what do we do? We make promises to God. I don't know about y'all, any of y'all ever made a promise to God? Any of y'all ever made a promise to God that you actually kept? All right, that, that would be the issue. I've been in so many situations in my life where I needed God. Well, I've needed God since the doctor turned me over to spank me and said, Oh, look, twins. Y'all, that'll sink in in just a minute. I've needed God's grace in my life since the moment I drew my first breath. But there's been times where I've gone through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever noticed that the valley of the shadow or the, 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 the valley of the shadow of death very often doesn't look like the valley of the shadow of death? Sometimes it looks pretty appealing. Sometimes it looks like a place that we ought to just stop and, and set up a tent and, and stay here for a while. Just kind of fellowship okay I think Bunyan called it vanity fair in his classic work but every time that I've had to go through the valley of the shadow of death and I call out to God and God doesn't seem to be moving on my timetable isn't that a funny thing 
how God very often refuses to move on our timetable. God, I need your blessing and I need it right now. And God says, oh, I'm going to bless you. may not be the way that you expect it to be and it's definitely not going to be on your timetable. But it's going to come. It's going to come. It's going to be better than whatever you thought you wanted me to do. But I don't know about you, when you've been praying for that thing for, oh, I don't know, more than 30, 45 seconds. And you say, well, God, I tell you what, you're a businessman. Let's negotiate this thing. God, if you'll do X, I'll do Y. How's that sound? Well, okay, I'll do Y squared. I'll be the best Christian you have ever seen in your life. God, I might even go and share my faith with somebody if you're lucky. We make promises to God. And and, and let me tell you something, beloved. When the Assyrian army shows up on your border, you're going to start making promises to God. Quick. Okay? Okay? You're going to start praying for them angel armies. You're going to start praying that God will will cause those boys to turn around and go back to the house. One of the great truths of the Bible, and, and, and it really shocks me that this is even open for debate, because this theme is taught from the very first pages of Scripture, is that God has His elect people. If you don't believe in an election, then you explain to me why God created Adam and Eve. Hello? He could have created somebody else, but he didn't. He created Adam and Eve. That's election. I don't care who you are. All right? That's election from the very first pages of the Bible. God elected Adam and Eve to be his first children. God has his elect people, and we've been studying that in Amos and and the other minor prophets. And and the problem becomes, you know, we think that because we're the elect that God's going to let us get away with just about anything. That God would accept half-hearted worship from us if we choose to worship him at all. See, beloved... These people that Hosea is, is, is speaking to, they're going to church. They're going to, to the temple. They're going to where the king has set up the church. They are acting out their religion. We'll see it in a few minutes. Uh, we see that they're going through all the motions. Hosea 4, 6, they're still making sacrifices. Okay? But there's nothing there. They are acting out their religion, but there is nothing there. And then finally, when the Lord sent them the ultimate price and sent to them the way, the truth, and the life, they crucified Him. 
They didn't want to have anything to do with God's truth. They didn't want to have anything to do with Emmanuel, God with us. They didn't want to have anything to do with God. You know, there's a lot of people in in our world wrongly telling us what God wants. (laughs) And have you ever noticed that Those telling you what God wants, that it's going to benefit them more than it benefits God. That's another sermon. But There's a lot of people telling us what God wants, what delights God. But listen, how many of you, you know, have ever given a present to somebody and they looked at it like, You've just given them a box of warm cow manure because you didn't know anything about them at all, okay? It'd be like if, if, if y'all invited me over to your house for supper and, and you cooked up for me fried green tomatoes with a side of asparagus and broccoli and Brussels sprouts, Okay? I'm going to have to pray about that because I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to figure out a way not to offend you when I don't eat anything that you put on the table. Okay, when I look at what you put in front of me like, what is this mess? <laughs> or if I walk in the house because all of them things make a peculiar odor when you're cooking them and I can just go, what's that smell? <laughs> Something dying here? <laughs> See, that would be like inviting me over to the house and not asking me, what would you like for supper? Okay. So many times we go to God with that same mindset. We think that we know what God wants and we go to Him trying to get Him to accept what we want to give Him. In our text this morning, God tells us specifically what delights Him. What He wants, what He wants from us more than anything else, and what God wants from us. Listen to me, beloved, because I know we're already running long. But what God wants from us is our genuine love, our real love. Verses 1 through 3. These people are a nation that is torn apart. And listen, I mean, not only are they torn apart from their brothers and sisters in Judah, which is direct rebellion against the covenant of God. God never said that He was going to bring blessing to Israel through Jeroboam. He said, my covenant is with David. My covenant is with David. And ten of the tribes said, David don't mean anything to us. We're going to split off from him. And they don't exist anymore. We have lawlessness going on within the nation. We have murder. I mean, God says that that, that it's gotten so bad. Verse 8, Gilead is a city of wrongdoers. Tracked with bloody footprints. 
that everywhere you go, there's evidence that violence has been committed in this place. They treat everybody unfairly. It was an unjust, oppressive society. And God was left with no choice. There's really only one hope for these people. Repentance. You know, I don't know who's done it, but the last couple of years, on our way to South Carolina, on the as you're approaching Columbia, and on the south side of Columbia, somebody's put up these big yellow billboards with red letters that that you know have various messages on them, and and one of them is a call to repentance. Man, repentance is something we don't talk about too much in our world anymore. Why? Because if to, to repent would mean first we had to admit we'd done something wrong. To repent would mean that we would have to say to somebody, I have done something wrong against you. I was not right in the way that I was responding to you or treating you. Here's the problem. God will quickly accept and restore His people when they repent of their sin. <laughs> you understand that? Listen, beloved, let me, let me make this abundantly clear to you. God already knows about your sin. <laughs> God, God already knows what sin you're going to commit a year from now. He already knows about it. Here's a scary thought. It's written down. It's already written down. And God, listen, God is not this overbearing Father that when you come to Him, He's just going to berate you and say, ah! God is going to uh, pull you up on His lap and He's going to say, my sweet child, my sweet, sweet child, I've been waiting for you to come. And to confess that to me so that I could count it to my son's account that he paid on the cross at Calvary. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive it, John will tell us. God is eager to, uh, to restore his people when we repent. Verse 3, Hosea challenges the people to diligently seek the Lord. To diligently seek Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain, watering the earth. Listen. It doesn't say let us know about Let us press on to know about the Lord. It says, let us know the Lord. Do you understand? Hosea is saying, God can be known. God can be known personally. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. 
Now, we're not going to get into a long discussion of the Trinity. But what I want you to understand is that God can be known and we can have a personal relationship with Him. As we said, Israel's problem was described back in in chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected. Now, it's one thing to be ignorant, okay? It's one thing to never have had the opportunity to understand something. But my people are destroyed, God says, because they have intentionally rejected the knowledge. Okay? I mean, if you're one of my employees and you come to me and, and, and maybe you made a mistake and, and I say, how did you make this mistake? You, you know, you should have known. And they go, well, no, I, I, I've never been taught that. That's one thing. But if I know that you know it, and you chose to do it anyway, that's an entirely different matter. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of God, I also will forget your children. We should know that when we pursue the knowledge of the Lord, He blesses it. It's got to be more than superficial. Hebrews 11.6 tells us this. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. That means we're not hedging our bets, beloved. I got a financial problem and either God is going to solve it or it's not going to get solved. I'm not going to whip out the plastic. I'm not going to go get a loan. Either God is, and I'm not going to hedge my bets, I come to God and I believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Verses 4 through 6. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? Have you ever had your parents say that to you? What am I going to do with you? What am I going to do with you? There was a song popular back in the late 50s, early 60s. Boy, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Some of y'all got that guitar riff going on in your mind right now. Isn't that what he's saying? Boy, what am I going to do with you? What am I going to do with you? The path that you're on leads to nothing but pain and heartache and destruction. God says your loyalty to me doesn't even last until you make it outside the door of the church. Your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. You understand what God is saying there? Sometimes the ministry of the man of God is to comfort the afflicted. But more often than not, the ministry of the man of God is to afflict the comfortable. 
Therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. Now that doesn't sound like a very good thing, does it? How does Paul put it? You were what? Unconscious in your sins and your trespasses? No, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. But God raised us back to life. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. That's evangelism 101, beloved. You've got to get a person lost before you can get them saved. And that's exactly what God is saying. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. Why? Because he has slain you in his word. And finally the light goes on and you say, I deserved what I got. I deserved worse than I got. And yet God reached into my life and he poured himself into me. He poured his love upon me. Because a fleeting, temporary love for God is unacceptable. Here's how Jesus put it to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Verse, let me get to it because we've got to close. Verse 6. Remember how I've always stressed the importance of that word that the King James translates as loving kindness. It's that Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word that God used going all the way back. But, but it's a word that He uses to talk about His steadfast covenant love with His people. It means that I will love you and I will bless you because I said I would and I'm true to my word. God says I delight that in that same kind of love coming back to me rather than sacrifice. Because, listen, beloved, God knows that when you've got said love for Him, when you've got loving kindness for God, then you're going to have loving kindness coming back. Listen, how do you get an over-the-top over kind of love from your spouse? Pretty simple. By demonstrating to them an over-top kind of love. Because they're going to give back to you what you give to them. God says, I delight in loving kindness rather than sacrifice. And in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, they missed what God really wants. They thought, as Brandon Heath put it, that they'd throw a 20 in the plate, but they'd never give till it hurts. And that was good enough for God. It ought to be good enough for God. God delights in loyalty rather than sacrifice because, listen, beloved, He knows that sacrifice will flow out of loyalty. Sacrifice will flow out of loyalty. Those of you with children, if one of your kids came to you right now and said, I need $10,000 or I'm going to jail, and I came to you and said, I need $10,000 or I'm going to jail. Which one are you going to give the money to? You're going to give it to your kid, aren't you? 
because you delight in loyalty. Even if I said, listen, I will wash and wax your car for the rest of your life if you'll give me that $10,000. I will come over and cook supper for you every night. No, you want loyalty rather than sacrifice. You want loyalty, and that's what God wants as well. So what's the solution to this problem? We find it back in verse 3. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. In Hebrew, that's a very strong word. It means to pursue. Let us press on to to know the Lord. In, In other words, it isn't enough that Israel shall come to the knowledge of the Lord God and one great experience when the nation is converted is in a day. No, there is much more to the life of God than that. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that's the beginning of life. How many of y'all think that just because you said, oh yeah, I do, preacher, and and, and your honey pie said, yeah, I do, that that's it, that that's all there is to marriage. I got news for you, beloved. There's more to marriage than saying I do. Okay? There's a whole lot more to marriage than saying I do. There's getting into that relationship. It's getting to, to, to know. And that saying I do, that ceremony is just the beginning of the marriage. It's not the marriage. That coming to faith in Jesus Christ is not the entire deal. It's the beginning of life. It's being born. It's being reborn as a new creation in Jesus Christ so that you can then go forth and bear fruit for the kingdom of God. The ultimate aim of humanity is to know God. To know Him is to enjoy Him. To love Him. And also to love Him preservingly too. So, is our loving kindness like a cloud? Is it like the dew? Does it last through Sunday morning? Is it still there on Monday morning when we go to work? We need not wonder about the people of God, beloved. He will gather all of His people into His fold, every single one of them. He will not lose one. And forever they will know His marvelous grace. The question is... Are you one of them?